As you, uh, uh, as you came in today, you were given a bulletin. If you could pull the outline out, I'm going to tell you right away that there is a lot of stuff I'm going to talk about that is not on there. And so if you are one of those kind of people that likes to take notes, um, it is all wherever the Holy Spirit leads you on your note-taking today. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist. And last week we started a new series called Living the Dream, Being Rich in What Matters Most. And last week we learned that we are rich people. We are extremely rich people. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know what, Scott, I don't agree with you. That's because you weren't here last week. <laughs> In fact, let me illustrate it for you. Did you know, according to the global rich list, that if you make $33,000 a year or more, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the entire world. So if you remember during the last presidential election cycle, you remember how they had this debate of the one percenters? Well, I'm sorry to tell you, First Baptist, that you are all one percenters. We are that rich. In fact, some of you are mega, mega rich. Did you know that if you make $80,000 or more a year, you are in the top one-tenth of 1% one of all wage earners in the entire world. That is how rich we are. That's the good news. There's bad news that we talked about last week as well. The bad news is we're rich. That's bad news. Some of you are like, wait a minute, that is not bad news. No, it really is because we talked about last week that because we're so rich, we have rich people problems like this. That um, maybe your cell phone reception wasn't that great when you called to make your hair appointment. And then you were really upset because they could only take you at 10.30, but you had a massage appointment at the exact same time. We're that rich. Or maybe you're so rich that you get upset that when your air conditioner won't turn down from 72 to 71 quickly enough because you're hot. We're that rich. Or what about this one? You're sitting on your couch and you flip through 180 different channels to find this show that you are so excited about, but your doorbell rings. And you push the pause button and you make it all the way over to the doorbell, which is all the way on the opposite side of your house. And you open up the door and there's a guy standing there with a pizza that you ordered, but it's cold. And so you go and sit down and then you realize that your dumb DVR didn't record the show that you were so into. Those are rich people problems. And we are that rich to have those problems. But here's the thing. As we look at this idea of being rich in what matters most, we also have to acknowledge that there are deep spiritual issues as a result of us being so rich. So if you have your Bibles with you today, if you will turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This passage is kind of our theme passage for this entire series. And today I'm going to chew on a portion of that scripture as we spend our time together. We're going to jump in in verse 17. Follow along with me, otherwise they'll throw it up on the screen. Here's what Paul says. As for the rich people in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus 
storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. See, being rich provides us with some serious spiritual difficulties. In fact, Jesus tackled this difficulty in his ministry, and he described it with a phrase that I believe truly encompasses all that we're dealing with today. Jesus described it as the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. And Jesus used that as a metaphor, as he was saying that the deceitful of riches in this present day can become a huge distraction and choke out spiritual growth in our lives. Let me illustrate it for you like this. Have you ever been to one of those pizza places that you eat pizza and then afterwards you can go and play games? Places like Chuck E. Cheese or John's Incredible Pizza. And what happens is is, uh, if your mom or dad, it's like a big giant vacuum for all the money in your pocket. And so what happens is the kids come and say, Mom, Dad, can I just have another dollar? Can I have another quarter? I want to go and play the games. And the kids go and play the games, and, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to earn some of these, these tickets. And the kids buy into this lie that if only I can get more tickets, I'll win a prize and I'll be happy. But yet as the kids are playing the game like the skee-ball, oftentimes we as adults say, hold on, let me show you how it's done so that you can win more tickets. And so we take said kid and we scoot him over here and say, watch how daddy does it. And we take that ski ball and we go like this and we roll it up and we show him how it gets in the 500. We go, yes! And all of a sudden more tickets start to come. And as adults, we buy the lie that if we get more tickets, then we'll get a prize and it will make us happy. And so alongside our kids or our grandkids, we go around this place from game to game to game and we earn more and more tickets. And we start to get this big giant grump of tickets and we start to count them or nowadays they make it easy and they have a ticket eater and it tells you how many you have and all of a sudden you look and you say wow I've spent the last hour of my life playing games and I have 685 tickets yes and we go up to a counter and we look at all of this amazing stuff that you can earn and you find out for 685 tickets you get something like this We earn the tickets to win the prize so that we can get something that will make us happy. And the thing is, is that as adults, no longer do we go after tickets like this, but now we go over tickets like this. And what happens is we think that the more of these that we get, the happier we'll be, and then we'll win the prize and we'll be satisfied. See, money tells us that if you get enough of these tickets. You'll be happy. You'll be satisfied. You'll have significance that you'll feel secure. But the problem is, is that these tickets promise something that it can never give you. See, you think you're going to get what matters, and one day you find out that all these tickets can buy are more and more things that never satisfy. But the problem is, is that our culture today tells us that our value, that our hope comes from money and not from the Lord. And we have generation after generation after generation that is bombarded with this message that the more of these that you have, the happier you'll be. And our culture tells us that the pursuit of things is what the reason you're on this earth is for. 
Yet Paul, in our text that we see this morning, he gives us a whole different perspective as he tells us not to put our hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Let me illustrate it for you like this. What if years ago I was to come up to you and I was to tell you, I am going to give you some stock. And I'm not talking a little bit of stock. I am going to give you a lot of stock in a sure bet company that you cannot lose with. And the amount of stock that I'm going to give you is so much that you'll never have to worry about money again. And so you're sitting there thinking, wow, that's awesome. So you quit your job. You give up on your budget. You spend endlessly because you're so excited about that, those riches that you're going to receive. And then all of a sudden you find out that that sure bet stock that you were going to be given was in a company called Enron. And all of a sudden, in a moment, all of your stock, all of your riches, everything that you had was poof. It was gone. Never, ever to be seen again. How would you feel about your wealth in that moment? See, it wasn't long ago that we were, we, both individuals and brokers, were putting our wealth and we were putting our hope in the future of certain companies that we cannot lose. We would put our money into Enron, into WorldCom, into America Online. And on this side of the investment, we see how stupid it was. But back in the day, when there was so much potential of riches and wealth, we were certain that it was a right decision. But, as Paul says today, we can't put our hope in wealth because it is so uncertain. This last week, there were lots of people that were putting their wealth, so they say, towards something that was completely different. There was the Powerball jackpot. $400 million was at stake. If only you would go and buy a ticket. And so there was a frenzy out of all of the states that took part in the Powerball jackpot. People were lining up at places where maybe you won before. In fact, I saw in the news there was one place that had two jackpot winners previously, and literally there was a traffic jam with cops directing people so they could go and buy lottery tickets. And the news was there, and, and you have line. It's like you're at Disneyland. And you have this news reporter walking up to people, sticking a microphone in their face and saying, when you win, what are you going to do with that money? And people would say, I'm going to pay off my house. I'm going to go and buy a palatial mansion. I'm going to go buy everyone I know a brand new car. And all of these people had all of these things that they were going to do with that money. And what they were doing is they were taking and investing their money in uncertain riches with the hope that they could win, or better yet, that they could buy happiness. But did you know what the odds were this last week of winning that jackpot? One in 176 million people. Let me tell you what you had better odds of winning or becoming last week. You had better odds of becoming the President of the United States of America than winning that. Those odds are 1 in 10 million. What about this one? Left-handers. Any left-handers in here? Listen to this. You have better odds of dying using a right-handed product as a left-hander than winning that jackpot. That's 1 in 7 million. What about this one? Uh, any golfers here? Any golfers? Okay. Uh, you as golfers, you have a better chance of teeing it up on two consecutive par three holes and hitting a hole in one 
on those holes than winning the lottery. That's one in 156 million. My favorite one of these is that it is a better chance of you being crushed and killed by a vending machine than winning the lottery. That is one in 112 million. But yet people, but yet some of you in here today, I'm sure, this last week lined up to stake your claim on the uncertainty of the possibility of wealth. And yes, I know some of you would sit here today and say, Pastor Scott, did you hear about that touching story of the woman in North Carolina that won a third of it? She had given up on her job to take care of her special children, and she won. Yeah, it's got to be for her amazing. In fact, today she's probably sitting somewhere overwhelmed at the windfall of riches. But so are her family members. So are her friends. So are her neighbors. So is everybody that knows or hoping to get a piece of that wealth. But here's what we don't hear. We don't hear about how many people took and spent their rent money on lottery tickets last week. We don't hear about how many people took their food money and went and spent lottery tickets on that uncertainty of wealth. We don't know how many people took everything they had and said, you know what, I'm going to go and try to win a lottery ticket. You can't watch TV anymore. You can't drive down the street without seeing advertisements about potential wealth. In fact, one of the ways that our society does it the most is through casinos. Right here in Stockton, we see billboards about a legionnaire that will take you so cheap from here in Stockton all the way to Las Vegas so that you can have the chance to win outrageous amounts of money. And what people do is they take all of these tickets that they have And they go and they lay it on red. And they stand there and say, if only, if only, if only. Ah, and they lose out. Some people even go to casinos with their social security income, that limited amount that they have. And they go and they put dollar after dollar after dollar. And they watch as they're hoping those rolls will end and go ding, 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 ding. They're putting their money on the uncertainty of riches. Our culture tells us that wealth will solve our problems. Our culture tells us that the more that we have of these, the better the person that we are. Our culture tells us that the fancier house you live in, the nicer car that you drive, the name on the tag on the back of your shirt or your pants, that whatever it is will make you a better person. But I'm here today to tell you, church, That it's not what is in your bank account that will make you a better person. What will make you a better person is whose you are. Let me say that again. What is in your bank account is not what makes you who you are. What makes you who you are is whose you are. See, people are looking to be rich in this world. They put their faith in companies like Enron, AOL, Time Warmer, WorldCom, the potential future of those companies. They will put their hope in the lottery, in slot machines, roulette tables, but they will stay away at all costs from the solid rock of Jesus Christ. They will put their hope in the deceitfulness of riches that one day literally will burn up. Friend, if we're going to be rich in what matters most, we need to put our hope in our lives, not in wealth that is uncertain, But as Paul says, put our hope in God. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 24. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, 
Oh, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Come on, we've heard this I don't know how many times in the church. Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. Notice Jesus doesn't say that you can serve, can't serve both God and power. Notice Jesus doesn't say you can't serve God and prestige. Notice Jesus didn't even say that you can't serve God and popularity. That of all of the things that Jesus would choose to say, he would say you cannot choose God and money. Because Jesus knew that money, of all things, would be the biggest distraction of our heart. That money, of all things, would be the biggest distraction of our attention. For money promises what only God can provide. For money promises what only God can provide. So what does money promise? Money promises happiness. If you have enough money, then you'll be happy. Money promises security. If only you have enough money, then you'll finally be safe. Think about it. We've all bought into this lie. Let me, let me kind of speak to ladies for just a minute. Men, don't worry, I'll get to you too. Um, it's as if this. Um, you were shopping one day and you came across this great deal. In fact, it was 50% off. Yes. So you bought it. But then because you bought this nice bracelet, then you had to buy the dress, the hat, the shoes that would go with it. And so what happens is you go out to the store and you're looking around and you're saying, okay, um, if only I could have that dress that matches that bracelet, then and only then I'll be happy. I know it's a cheesy example. Men, let me speak to you for just a minute. See, men, we don't go and spend things a little bit at a time. When we're going to buy something, we buy it big. So it's kind of like this. Yes, Adam, I'm going to hit you right now. It's kind of like this. During the Super Bowl, you saw this brand new truck. And it looked so good. In fact, Tom Brady even won one. And you say, I want one of those. And if I had one of those, I'm going to feel secure. I'm going to be happy finally. And so you go out and you buy it. Maybe it's for you. It's saying, if only I lived in that gated community, well, then I'll be happy. I'll be safe. Or maybe it's because then finally you'll get that new carpet or that new kitchen that you've dreamed of. And once you have that, you're finally going to be happy. Or maybe it's something that's not expensive at all. It's as if you could say, you know what, um, if only I could get my nails done, well, then I will finally be happy and secure in the way that my hands look. The reality is this. It doesn't matter what you have. It, um, because whatever you have in this moment will only bring satisfaction for a short, short moment. Let me illustrate it for you like this. How many of you remember waterbeds? Waterbeds? Remember waterbeds? Um, for those of you that are millennials and never heard of this, a waterbed was this big bladder of water that would like take the place of your mattress and you would sleep on it, okay? So when I was a kid, waterbeds were the thing to have. And I remember growing up, I wanted a waterbed so badly. And I would ask my parents, could I just have a waterbed? How cool would that be? And so one day, um, I think we got it for free, um, but uh, we ended up with a waterbed. And I was so excited. Side note here, did you know that if you can put a small sibling on one end of a waterbed, and you get on the other end, and you push just right, you get this big giant wave that will make them flop off the bed? I only did it once or twice to my siblings, I promise. But here's about the thing about the waterbed. I was so excited when I got a waterbed. 
I mean, I loved the thing. I was so excited. My parents didn't even have to tell me to make my bed for the first week because I was taking care of it, putting my pillow in the right spot. But then about a month later, it became common. It didn't bring satisfaction. It wasn't as cool anymore. And a year later, it really didn't matter to me. And two years later, it was in a landfill somewhere else because it had lost its cool. See, friend, only our God can provide lasting joy. You can get more and more and more and more, and you're still going to want more and more and more and more and more stuff because money doesn't provide happiness. Only God provides lasting happiness through Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. The more that we rely upon our stack of tickets, the more that we rely upon our stack of money, the less we rely upon God. So today, if you are getting your worth from what you have, let me remind you where everything that we have or ever will have comes from. His name is Jesus, and he is the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's return back to our passage this morning from, the, from Paul. And it says, for, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. We talked about that but on God, who richly provides us with everything. Notice that it says that God provides us with everything. So often we hear in our culture about self-made men and self-made women. We hear about these people that are self-made millionaires. And we forget that it's God who provides everything. That it is God who creates us as his image bearers. It is God who gifts us with our abilities and our intellect. It is God who gives us everything that we have to use for his glory. Search scripture and you find example after example after example of how God provides for us. In fact, Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches, in glory in Christ Jesus. Notice it says every need and not want. Our problem in America is this, is that for most of us, having our needs met is so easy, but having our wants met is so difficult. Remember this stack of tickets? Remember all of that money? See, God provides every single one of us with a certain amount of these tickets, on a regular basis. He gives us a certain amount of these to provide for our needs, but not always our wants. But let me go back to a series we covered just a a few weeks ago. If you remember, um, during the Worry series, Pastor Brad had you pull out your cell phones. And, And he had you do a survey and say, what is it that you worry about the most? And overwhelmingly, the response was this, is that we worry because we believe God can act, but we just don't know if he will act. And in the same way with our finances, we live the exact same way. We know that God will provide for our needs, but we want so much more, so we take the control over these, and we put it back here as hard as we can, and we don't let anybody talk about it, and we don't let anybody else speak into it or control it. When I was in college, and uh, uh, my early years of marriage before I got into ministry, um, I started a commercial cleaning business. And at one point, 
We had over 50 employees spread all over Northern California, and God had been really in this business and blessed it. And I could remember there were times when payroll would come, and, and we needed to pay all 50 of those workers. And I would look at the bank account, and I would have the issue that lots of businesses have, which is cash flow. And I would look at the bank account, and I would say, how on earth am I ever going to be able to pay these workers? And even though I know that God had opened up that business for me, even though I know that God had been in every detail of that organization, I would start to think. I would start to worry. I would start to calculate. I would start to strategize. I would literally pull my hair out trying to figure out how I am going to meet those needs to pay our employees. And yet payroll would come. And God, in his infinite wisdom, in the way that only God can, would provide exactly what we needed to meet payroll. My strategizing, my calculating, my trying to control the situation literally did nothing in it except for give me gray hairs early in life. But here's the thing. Our God provides for us in a remarkable ways to provide for our needs. The problem is, is that our view of our needs and God's view of our needs are as far apart as possible. And so what we do is we think that we know more than God knows, so we take control. So even though God has given us a certain stack of these to provide for our needs, we spend beyond these because we have a thing called American Excess or credit cards. And so we think that if we go and make these purchases, that we will be happy. Maybe for you, um, you saw that new iPhone come out. And you're like, man, I really want an iPhone. Mine has a little scratch on the cover. Yeah, I know I can still call people, but it's not the newest one. And my friend has the newest one. And although you don't have enough money for it, you pulled out your credit card and you went like that. And you bought it. And for a moment, you were happy. Maybe you're a mom or you're a dad or even a grandma or grandpa. And you look at your beautiful children and you think that your beautiful children are going to end up in counseling one day if you don't take them to Disneyland or buy them the newest toy. And so even though God has entrusted with you a certain amount of these, you say, I'm going to go and take my kids and I'll pay it off later because my kids deserve this. I deserve this. And what happens is we blur the line between need and want so much that we no longer know the difference. And while we have a certain amount of these, today as Americans, we live as though these are limitless. And all is good and well. Until you walk to your mailbox and you start to open your bills and you look at how much you spent in the last month. Or you look at that debt that you've been carrying for month after month. And then you look at the amount of these that God has entrusted you with, and all of a sudden you realize that there's not enough of these to pay for your needs because you live way beyond your needs or what God provided you with. I know I'm stepping on your toes today. I know this is a subject that at times will make you completely and utterly uncomfortable. So let me continue to lay it on you as we look at what God's Word has to say. Proverbs 22, 7 says the rich rule over the poor. And what is the borrower? What is the person that is in debt? Scripture says that the borrower is servant to the leader. The Hebrew word translated as servant, it means slave. It means to be in captivity. It means that if we're in debt, it means that if we're strapped, that we're actually living in captivity 
to American Express, to MasterCard, to Visa. See, we don't typically get in debt all at once. No, it's normally a nickel here, a dime here, a quarter over there. One meaningless transaction after another after another. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves drowning in a sea of debt. Did you know that the average American has $15,950 of credit card debt? That's the average. That means some of you are above average here and some of you are below average. That is a lot of money to be in captivity over. I'm a numbers guy. I love to run numbers and play with them. So I want to illustrate something for you here. Let's talk about that debt for a moment. So imagine that you have that $15,950 of credit card debt. And so we have to pay interest to be able to use that money. And so the interest rate, an average one, is maybe 18%. Actually, a lot of them are a lot higher. And so um, what does it cost to be able to make that payment? Well, when you get the statement, it has a minimum payment that you have to make. And so the minimum payment on this credit card is $250, okay? If you were at $213, did you know you would never pay it off ever, ever, ever? It would just continue to grow with the interest. And so let me ask you a question. How long do you think it would take to pay off $15,950 at 18% interest with $250 a month payment? Five years? Six years? Eight years? Well, let's go back to that uh, Disneyland trip that you took with your kids when they're little. Well, let's just say that if you just make the minimum payment and don't add anything else onto that credit card, that your children will be married and have kids before you pay it off because it will take you 18 years to pay off that credit card. And if that isn't staggering enough, think about how much interest you paid because interest compounds. It grows and it grows and it grows. So that $15,950 all of a sudden didn't cost that, but the total amount is $53,000. You know what the problem is? It's because you nickel and dimed yourself into a corner when opportunities arose, like a fun trip. He said, you know what, I would love to go, but I have this credit card that I need to pay off. When somebody challenged you to live generously as God has commanded us to, you say, I would love to do it, but I only have a certain amount of these, and I'm held captive to MasterCard, and I have to pay that off before I could ever live generously to God or to anyone else. We become captive to our credit card spending. And the problem is, is that when you look at it at this point, that nickel and dime transaction, you can't even remember what it was. All you know is that you're drowning in a sea of debt and you can't get out. Let me speak to the opposite side of this equation. What if instead of taking your kids to Disneyland when you couldn't afford it, what if instead of going and buying that dress to match your shoes, to match your hat, you said, you know what, I'll wait until I have enough money to pay cash. What if you said, all right, I'm going to take my family to Disneyland and you saved up your money and it took you a year it took you five years to save up $15,950. And because you were wise in your use of money, you actually could afford to go there, and you were saving money. So you had $15,950 that you could invest. And, and let's say that you invested at a, at a decent interest rate, because it's going to be long-term, not short-term, and you got 8% interest. I believe in the American economy we're going to get there one day. <laughs> and say that you had that investment of $15,950, and at 8% interest, 
You did it over a term of 18 years, that same amount of time that you would have been paying off your credit card. Do you know how much that would be worth? $63,736.50. It's a stark contrast, isn't it, between being captive in debt and being able to take your money and allowing God to bless it. Let me take it even a step further. What if because you saved your money, what if you spent your money wisely, you weren't in captivity, and you were able to take that minimum payment of $250 and add to that same investment week in, month in, month out? So $15,950, 8% interest, done over 18 years, and you invest $250 every single month. Do you want to know what compounding interest does and the investment value then? It's $185 thousand dollars. Can you say wow? Wow. Um, I don't know about you, but when I think about $53,000 down the drain so that I can pay off my American Excess card, so that I can pay off MasterCard for my little nickel and dime expenditures, or I think about $185,000 that could be used to bless people, that could be used to bless the kingdom of God, that could be used to change generations to come in your family. It makes me think about my spending habits. It makes me think about how I spend my money. And so as I wrestled with that and as I wrestle with where we're kind of at and where how God gives us a certain amount of these every single month, let me give you five very simple principles to live out as we think about being rich and what matters most. The first one is, is very simple. It's live within your means. What? No, that is not what we do as Americans. But know how much God has provided for you week, month in, month out, week in, whenever you get paid. And live within those. Make a budget. As Dave Ramsey says, every dollar has a name and every dollar has a purpose. A dollar without a purpose is a dollar that is wasted. So maybe today, if I'm stepping on your toes, if I'm in your face a little bit, maybe you're sitting here thinking, I need to get my financial house in order. Let me challenge you. Let me implore you. Whatever you're doing on Wednesday nights for the next nine weeks, quit. Take a break from it. Go get in Financial Peace University. Spend the money to buy the resources that will forever change your life, will ever forever change your family's life, and will impact every aspect of your life. Live within your means. Remember that our God has blessed us tremendously in our country. Our God has entrusted you with a certain amount in your stack. Use it wisely and don't spend beyond what is in there. Secondly, practice self-control. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And just remember, because that newest iPhone just came out doesn't mean that you need it. Just because your friend just bought a new car doesn't mean that you deserve a new car. Just because this new vehicle has a, a sunroof in it and you don't have a sunroof in it doesn't mean you need it. You don't have to keep up with the Joneses. You don't have to keep up with the Smiths. You don't have to keep up with your neighbors because we live as Christians for an audience of one and your neighbors aren't that audience. He is. So very practically, let me give you some steps on how you can live this out. If you're going to make a purchase, pray about it. And don't just pray, okay, God, should I swipe my card right now? Swipe. No, <laughs> don't do that. What I'm saying is if you're going to go and make a purchase, 
Pray, pray for 24 hours. When you're at the store and you like that, go home. Don't make the emotional decision to buy into the marketing, but go and pray about it for 24 hours. If it's a major purchase like a car or especially like a house, pray about it for 48, 72 hours, maybe even a week. And pray, and here's the thing that happens, is that when it's something that God doesn't want you to have, over that period, all of a sudden it loses its appeal. It loses its lore. Ask yourself the question, do I need it or do I want it? And learn the power of saying no. And if you lack self-control in this area of your life, if your finances are a wreck, find somebody that has their house financially in order and ask them to keep you accountable. Ask them to sit down with you and literally take out your credit cards and cut them up together. Ask them to sit next to you and call your credit card company and shut down your account and tell them, I'm not using this anymore. Ask them to help you with a budget and ask them to help you to keep you accountable to live within your means and practice self-control. The next one is sacrifice. Sacrifice. That's something as Americans we don't like to do in this country. As I would define sacrifice, it's giving up something that you love for something that you love even more. You might be wasting your life away one channel at a time watching cable television, but you would much rather love having a debt-free Christmas. Well, maybe you give up cable television so that you're not paying for your Christmas until May of next year. Um, maybe you want a bigger house, but you would much rather have your wife or your husband, one of you, stay home with the kids. And so instead of going out and getting into debt where it requires you to have all of that money to pay for the bigger house that nobody's in all day long, you choose to make the sacrifice so that you can stay home with the young kids. Or maybe you want your kids or your grandkids to be in Christian school, to set them up with an education that will make an impact for eternity. And so you sacrifice that bigger house so it can make an impact on their lives. Maybe you're young here today. Maybe you're a college student and you love your personal space. And you would love to have your own apartment with nobody else to have to share your space. But you would love even more graduating from college with no debt. So you bring on three or four roommates. You go and crouch, cash, what is that? Couch crash with people so that you don't have to spend as much money on rent. So that you can have something you love even more when you graduate rather than paying off UOP or, or whatever school you're going to for the next decade or two or three. Or maybe, to get a little bit smaller, maybe you would value not having a car payment anymore. Maybe it would be really nice not have to make that payment every single month. And so maybe instead of going out to lunch and, and getting a Chipotle burrito and a $1.50 drink and dropping $10 every single day, you say, you know what, I'm going to pack my lunch did you know that if you drop $10 every single workday with an average work week of 22 days, that's $220 a month, that might be your car payment. And even bigger than that, did you know that in this, the, the line of your entire career, that researchers say that if you do not go out to lunch and you brown bag it every single day, you can save upwards of $112,000 over your career. Sacrificing something that you like now for something that you like even more. 
Fourth is be content. Be content. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4 that he has learned to be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. Paul understood the value of being content. American Christian, do you understand the value of being content? See, contentment means different things to different people. For some of you, um, your contentment means, are you content with your stack that God has entrusted you with? For those of others of you, your contentment has to do with your exterior and the type of clothing you choose or even the view that you have of your own body image. For others of you, your contentment has to do with relationships. Maybe you are not being content in your marriage and your eyes have been wandering to places that they shouldn't be. Maybe your contentment has to deal with relationships and you need to get that in order. The Apostle Paul knew what it meant to be content in any and every situation. Do you? Here's the thing about contentment. We literally and probably should spend weeks on that topic because it's something that as Christians we wrestle with and it's really hard to put in practice in our lives. But this last point, I think, helps focus that and focuses all that we're talking about today. Is if we're going to be rich in what matters more, most, we need to think eternally. Whether from your lifestyle choices to your purchasing decisions to your relationships, view them with an eternal perspective. Maybe today, God is calling you to downsize so that you can live and invest with an eternal perspective. Maybe God is calling you to stay. You know what? I'm calling you to live generously for the first time in your life. And even though you might not think that you have enough, I haven't entrusted you with enough to live generously to God's people and to make a difference in people's lives. The next time you pull out your credit card, think eternally. Will that purchase fill you with happiness? Will that purchase give you security? Will that purpose make a difference eternally in this world and for the kingdom of God? See, by living your wage, by having self-control, by living sacrificially and being content with what you have, you will be able to invest generously in eternal causes. Whether it is investing generously in your local church so that you can impact the life of the person on the right and the left and the front and behind you, or whether you being able to live generously would impact the lost of this city that would forever change Stockton, or maybe because you thought eternally in all of your purchase decisions and how you manage these tickets that you would then be able to give towards causes that are dear to God's heart, like the plight of widows and orphans or the unborn. Or maybe the next time that a mission trip comes up like Haiti or Costa Rica or Mexico or Kodiak, Alaska. And you sit there and you think, man, I would one day love to be able to go on that trip, but I don't have enough of these. That you think at every single transaction, am I going to be able to go on that mission trip if I continue to swipe? Or maybe, just maybe, the next time someone comes to you and they say, you know what, God has burdened me in a way that is overwhelming that I should go onto the mission field, whether short-term or long-term. And they so humbly come before you because God put you on their heart. And they say, friend, 
would you consider supporting me on my trip so that I can carry out God's will for my life that I feel that he's calling me to? And if you think eternally and you live within your wage, you know what you'll be able to do? I would gladly bless you and you can give far more than you would ever imagine because you thought eternally, week in, day out, transaction out. Finally today, I want to ask you a question. Will the pursuit of more change yours or your family's lives? What truly satisfies you? Is it wealth or the hope that we have in Christ? Join me in prayer. Father God, humbly, we want to be able to answer that question and say that we put our hope in Christ and we are 100% satisfied there. But Father, I think for many of us that are here today, if you looked at how we spend our money, if you looked at how we spend our time, if you looked at where our heart really is, we would humbly have to say that we're trying to find satisfaction in so many different areas that are not yours. Father, there's times where we wrestle with the pursuit of more, and we think that the more that we get, the happier we'll be. Father, there's times that that we buy into the lie that this world is giving us, and it completely distracts us from your best. And so, Father, humbly we come before you today. Father, we want to lay our credit cards. We want to lay our checkbook. We want to lay our wallet. We want to lay all that you provide for us at your feet. And Holy Spirit, will you guide us on how to make financial decisions that will make eternal difference. Father, help us to manage our household in a way that will glory, glorify and honor you. Father, help us to be wise stewards. Father, we thank you that you would love every single one of us so much that you would provide for us in literally an overwhelming fashion. Father, I thank you that we can say today that we are rich, rich, rich. But God, I thank you for the responsibility that you've given us as well. And God, may you guide us as we make those decisions and may they glorify you. Father, I thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your hand in our lives. And thank you, God, for how you are going to help us to be rich in what matters most. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.